We begin by acknowledging that the land on which we record this podcast is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabeg peoples. This territory is covered by the Upper Canada Treaties. We acknowledge the enduring presence of First Nation, Métis, and Inuit people on this land, and that not all settlers were brought here by choice. We believe it is important to move forward in the spirit of reconciliation, compassion, and respect. I'm Kimberly McKenzie. And I'm Paul Nazareth. Welcome to The Intersection. Show the Salary has arrived in Canada. The Association of Fundraising Professionals Greater Toronto Chapter has a new policy that all job postings include the salary ranges. This is one step forward to creating a more inclusive, diverse and accessible charitable sector. Today we are thrilled to welcome Amy Pollock and Penny Connors to share more about how and why the chapter took this important step. Amy is the president of the AFP Toronto chapter and has been involved as a volunteer since 2011. She is driven to advance fundraising as a profession, works as Executive Vice President Marketing and New Business Development at Blakely Incorporated, and is proudly raising her little girl to be a strong and caring woman. Penny holds a degree in psychology and a degree in business administration from York University. She is a certified association executive and is currently applying her extensive management experience to delivering AFP Toronto Chapter's strategic plan, where she serves as the executive director. Please join me in welcoming Amy and Penny to the Hub. I'm really excited today. Uh, that we have Amy Pollock, who is the president of the Association of Fundraising Professionals uh, of Greater Toronto Area, and Penny Connors here. Um, Amy and Penny, can you come on up? There's Hi. Amy. Hi. So nice to see both of you. Nice what? to see you too. Thanks for coming to the hub. There's Penny. Hi, Penny. Hi, Penny Connors. Um, Amy, Hi. would you like to take a moment to introduce Penny? I would. Uh, it, it, it would be my pleasure. We unfortunately over the past year and uh, about four or five months that Penny's been with us uh, have not had the opportunity to introduce her to many people. So this is Penny Connors. She is AFP Greater Toronto Chapters, I like to say new-ish executive director. Uh, Penny actually joined the AFP Greater Toronto Chapter in November 2019. Uh, when she thought she was, you know, coming on after our previous executive director had been around for 25 years and that that would be her biggest challenge. And then here she got thrown into, uh, you know, a, a COVID year where all of us being a very events led organization, she has had to pivot and, or, you know, the, the word of 2020, I think it was, uh, and she's done an amazing job. So uh, I'm thrilled to welcome uh, or introduce Penny to, uh, to the sector. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. I, I'm uh, excited to be here today. I think this is a great opportunity. It's too bad it's not in person to be able to meet everyone, but a great yeah. opportunity to chat about some of our, our current work and some of the uh, efforts that we've had underway the last few weeks. Okay, so Penny, not not to put you on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, what's <laughs> What's the favorite part of your job over the last year so far? 
Lots to learn. I like to learn. I'm a continuous learning advocate and certainly find that at AFP. Just keeping all the AFP straight sometimes can be challenging, right? <laughs> AFP Foundation, AFP Canada, AFP chapters and, and learning all the terminology. Yeah. Um, I've really enjoyed getting to know the volunteers. We've got a great group of volunteers on our board and then certainly all the different committees that we work with. So planning events and doing marketing, we've got uh, obviously a very dedicated group in the fundraising profession in Toronto specifically, but I can see across uh, Canada and the US as well. Um, for, for folks who aren't listening, I'll ask one of you to maybe tell us what AFP is. Or for folks who haven't heard or don't know. Yeah. Sure. Amy, do you, do you want to yeah. take it? Go oh, ahead, sure. Amy. Yeah, so AFP is the Association of Fundraising Professionals. And so we represent the Greater Toronto Chapter, which we're proud to say is the largest chapter in the world, believe it or not, not just in Canada, but in the world. Um, and what else can I say? We, we are obviously an association of fundraising professionals. Uh, we run a number of events and we're really focused on education for our membership and value add for our membership. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know, Penny, if you would like to add anything there. Um, yeah, and, and value add for sure. Networking with each other, making sure that you're learning from your peers in fundraising, either across, you know, the Toronto area, certainly, but as we can do these virtually, then certainly across the country and with U.S. counterparts as well. Um, so it's, it's an association for our fundraising professionals to get ideas from people who've been through something similar. How do you do fundraising in COVID year? How do you do you know, fundraising when people are not able to network the way they used to? How do we all make this work? So it's a great opportunity, the Toronto chapter and some of the events that we plan for people to just have that time and space to be together and learn from each other. And if I could add, you know, in a lot of ways to the, the soul of our community, you know, we just recently had a discussion about personal mission statements and, you know, really digging, going deeper on your personal why. And with Kimberly and our colleague, Mark Herlehy, that two of the three of us had these personal epiphanies at AFP Congress. Mm -hmm. And it was that immersion into our professional community that helped people to understand this is what I do and why I do it. And a little mm -hmm. bit more, maybe who I am. And that's this wonderful role that, the, that specifically the chapter holds for our fundraisers in Canada. Mm -hmm. Actually, uh, you're you're so right, Paul. I'm looking at behind me, and I've got a philanthropy day thing there, the fundraising fundamentals uh, course, and the CFRE course was essential. And then I even have I like I didn't even put this here for you guys, but that's the little thing I got when I got my CFRE. Okay, so um, it was when was this? In March, I saw a press release. This is what I want to talk to talk about. And AFP Toronto issued a statement, and I'm just going to read the first two paragraphs of this. After extensive discussions and thorough research, the AFP Greater Toronto Chapter Board has decided to implement a policy requiring all job postings to include salary ranges. The new policy rollout will be supported by necessary education resources. As of June 1st, 2021, all organizations posting jobs on our site must include a salary range for the advertised role. AFP Greater Toronto Chapter believes in promoting and supporting fairness and transparency as part of our chapter's idea mandate and is committed to doing its part in eradicating procedures and processes that advance systemic 
discrimination during hiring practices. That's pretty bold. Well, <laughs> um, you know, it, it certainly is, is a bold move, but, you know, as we mentioned in the press release, this had been underway in a topic of discussion for quite some time. Uh, it was, in fact, a topic of discussion in uh, 2019 heading into 2020, but obviously we were sort of in a uh, type of a mode to keep the chapter afloat when, you know, everything that we sort of do as a chapter was pulled out from under us. Mm -hmm. uh, so we had to sort of bring it back. Uh, but when the board reconvened in September, we usually take the summer off. It was one of the first topics of discussion uh, this past September. So we picked up, we did do a lot of uh, research. We met with all of our top posters because uh, we knew that this would affect a lot of our members and, and the people that post on our job postings. We have one of the lot where we have the largest job posting board uh, in terms of AFP chapters in Canada. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to make sure that we, we were very mindful of how this would impact everyone. Uh, you know, everyone sort of thinks of the larger organizations and well, why would this be such a problem for them? But it's more the smaller organizations that, uh, you know, they don't have the resources necessarily to do the, the work that goes into creating salary bans uh, for your organization. And so that's why we wanted to uh, take the time to to bring this in properly, but also provide some educational resources around it. And so that's what the the three the three series that we have leading up to it is meant to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to we're going to talk about that. Um, Penny, why do you think now is the right time? Um, there's certainly been a lot of discussion about it. So even AFP Global, some of the other chapters, um, it's uh, the, I think the awareness everyone has felt with the events uh, last year, George Floyd and some of the other um, uh, tragic events certainly has everyone talking about equitable practices, um, fairness, anti-discrimination. Um, so it's something that we wanted to, we had, as Amy mentioned, had already been discussing it at a board level and some of the committee level. Um, it's something that we feel is appropriate for moving our practices forward. Um, we're certainly going to continue those discussions as well. It's not a, you know, just do this and that's it. We want to make sure that um, events that we put on are accessible. We want to make sure that we're working towards um, equitable practices in everything we do. Um, we also um, assist in posting nationally across Canada. So um, we're certainly working with uh, companies that want to post job positions um, at, through our office, they can post it across the country. So we want to make sure people are, are aware when they're posting it and encouraging, even if they haven't thought of it in the past, it's something we can encourage them to do as they're considering posting with us. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to add to that, if, if you don't mind, um, in terms of why we thought this was really important now, uh, we really view this as a first step. We recognize this is not a, you know, oh, we've done this, this is a box checked, everything's good now. We recognize this is really truly just a very, very small piece of the work that needs to be done around this issue. Um, so, you know, as I said, we really focus on how can we provide value to our members? And so whether that be, you know, some of the things we're looking at down the road is negotiation skills. Um, you know, when we look at um, whether it be marginalized communities or, or women as well, we know that women, this is predominantly a female sector, yet we make only a percentage of what our male counterparts make. 78%. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, you know, like providing some of those skills around this as well is something that's really, really key for us. So I, I just wanted to make sure we, we 
address that, that we don't view this as sort of a, this is done, yay, mm -hmm. we've solved the problem. And Paul, again, do you want to get in there? Yeah, you know, shout out to a couple of the the the. the can you? I'm sorry, Paul. Can you go closer to your mic? Because sure. I, I think I. Um, to our colleagues in the UK who who really have been raising the volume on this, mm -hmm. uh, from the show the salary uh, network, but also you really got to go back to the fact that AFP Greater Toronto chapter as well as Ottawa together started the AFP Diversity and Inclusion Fellowship years ago and started a lot of these conversations years ago, not just on the salary, but the hiring practices, the structural issues, actually going out, seeking out kind of BIPOC leaders in the space, in, in engaging the show the salary team over the past few months. And I've been a hiring manager for many years myself. I recognize that this was gonna be a struggle for a lot of employers, partially because again, a lot of them don't have these kind of internal discussions and don't have support. And there was a lot of pushback when I said, look, I know this is going to be hard. And a lot of people who want that, that those justice and equity issues to move more quickly were really, you know, very loud about saying, this has got to be done. And yet we know that this is going to be a challenge for those employers. Your insight, Amy, was really interesting about that it was some of the smaller posters mm -hmm. that struggle with this. Again, a lot of people are focusing on the large organizations. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you talked to the teams across the board. Any other insights to share some of those struggles? Because I know listening today are a lot of executive directors of smaller organizations who are also struggling with this. Uh, would love to hear any more insight that you've had in these discussions behind the scenes. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that there's struggles, you know, as you mentioned, Paul, internally <clears throat> with getting buy-in to do this. Uh, you know, some of the concerns that we've heard are around, uh, well, you know, I have team members that are currently making a specific salary and we're posting for a similar job. And now this is going to be outside of that. And so I think this raises the issue of transparency um, across the board <clears throat> and the need for transparency with your team members. Um, and I think we've seen over the past year, just uh, even as it relates to COVID and, uh, you know, so many organizations had to downsize and, and things like that, that transparency is so key in, in building a strong team and retaining those team members as well. And, and this goes hand in hand with the types of hiring practices that you do as well, setting them up for success. Um, you know, we've had some of the pushback has been around, uh, well, if I post the salary range, then nobody's going to apply to my job. And it's like, well, you know what? And a, there's a problem. And there's a, either there's a problem or, you know, why would you want to waste your own internal resources and another individual's time in going through an interview process, which is, it takes a lot of time. If you're properly applying to a job, you know, and crafting your resume and things like that, and then going through, you know, at least an hour, potentially two to three hours of interviews, why would you want to waste your team's time and that individual that's applying to only come to the end and find out that there's no way they're going to take this job? Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that organizations need to sort of take a look at what, what their concerns are and, you know, maybe taking a look at addressing those. We're not saying that <clears throat> this is easy across the board. Um, it, it's certainly not, but I think it's really, really important for us to all recognize and, and, you know, I would I would challenge and say if you can't you know right away across the board put out salary your salary bands to your entire team or things like that what is the first step that you can take in that direction to say you've made you're starting to make progress and and just putting a plan in place I mean I think that as long as you can show that you actually have a plan in place and that you're taking the steps that nobody's going to fault you for not being there tomorrow. 
I would and like to, um, sorry, Penny, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, as, as Amy mentioned, this for us is a, is a first step because certainly if your range is posted, doesn't mean the next piece isn't handled um, in a discriminatory fashion. You've got a range from X to Y. If you're only offering certain groups the higher end and other groups the lower end, it can be also challenging. We need to make sure unconscious bias is factored in. We need to make sure the interview processes are fair. We need to make sure the selection team is fairly judging the applications. Um, all, all kinds of next steps that we wanna keep working towards and learning ourselves. We're working towards building that and assisting the members where we can to, uh, to make sure that the practices all around, not just salary transparency um, meets the needs. You, you, you touched on that and I wanna just dig a little deeper. Um, why is it important? I know that's an obvious question to those of us who have read some of the articles, but I think the m majority of folks out there may not understand why showing a salary range is important. So who would like to speak to that? I've done quite a bit of speaking, Penny. Yeah. Would you like to? I don't want to. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, to, just to make, to make sure that the recruitment practices are uh, transparent for people to, to understand, as Amy said, understand what they're applying to. So you're not spending time on applications and then only being told after they've met you perhaps and, and understand who you are, that you're gonna make you know, quite a bit lower than what you're anticipating. We wanna make sure that, um, that employers are being fair to current staff as well. If, if we can have that transparency, as, as Amy mentioned, some, some shops are uncomfortable that their current employers are gonna find out you know, perhaps they mm -hmm. haven't been paid at the fair level mm -hmm. um, or what is widely recognized in that type of role across the sector, across the industry. Mm -hmm. uh, so making sure that the fair human resources practices are, are underway. That's why you I'm so spoke, grateful. Sorry, Paul, go ahead. I was just saying that's why we're, I think we're so, the community is grateful you're doing these discussions. You're doing this education around it. Because for a lot of people, this is the end of the journey, not the beginning. Uh, you know, we've said it three or four times talking about these practices that are straight up inequitable. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people in these hiring positions, it's going to be really hard. Again, a lot of women in our community are put in the middle and they're the ones who are having to make the hard calls and live with these decisions when it's not them that's dictating this policy. And so this is where I think a community conversation is going to be really important and really valuable. So we're grateful that you're having it as opposed to just making the change mm -hmm. to be on the right side of history here. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and on the showthesalary.com website, which we'll put a link in our, in our show notes, um, they list that the people of color are often, I mean, I'm stating the obvious, but we don't think about it when this cisgendered white woman goes into a job application uh, to apply for a job. Um, certainly, I know that I don't negotiate my salary very well. It's always awkward and uncomfortable. Um, but it never, ever occurred to me, again, I'm just exposing myself here, but uh, that people of color are paid less than I am, that there is that bias there, uh, unconsciously or not, that that it's just statistically true. So. Yeah, I think so much of it comes down to that whole unconscious bias. I mean, yeah. I think we would love to see in the future hiring practices. Um, you know, I'll, I'll share that um, when, when we went through um, Penny's hiring with the AFP chapter, you know, we had blind resumes. So everything was taken off. 
um, KCI facilitated that um, recruitment for us. And it was wonderful because there was nothing like they had removed any uh, indicator for us. So we were actually evaluating on the actual, yeah, skills and, and uh, experience, um, you know, so a lot of it comes down to this unconscious bias that that hiring manager. And I mean, you know, when we talk about unconscious bias, we all have unconscious bias. We yes. can't pretend that we don't. And so, you know, as much as you may want to be unbiased as much as possible, at the end of the day, there are innate things that we've grown up with. Um, and so it's, it's difficult to, to go about it if you don't remove everything. Yeah. That yeah, and they hit, hit names. So sometimes, um, you know, whether, whether a person's male or female, you might be presuming based on the name or the culture that they come from based on the name. So part of the process for the recruitment that I went through with the board, um, those names were hidden where you graduated from. So you might have a degree in something. Do they need to know what country that degree is from? They're not assessing the degree itself. Mm -hmm. If you have a business degree from another country, that may be revealing if that's included in the information. They just need to know that that's the topic you studied or you have experience in that area. Mm -hmm. um, so there's lots of different conscious and conscious by unconscious bias that people need to factor in to um, making policy changes like this and recruiting in a fair practice uh, manner. So well, I'm glad to see several AFP chapters having discussions around this too. Even well, our own colleagues at CFRE asking the hard questions, you know, across the world, talking about why several fundraising roles require weird degrees. You know, on that point, I mean, I was cruising around the internet today just to prepare for this conversation. And this is the thing that, <sighs> this is the thing that drives me nuts when I see on a job posting, three years experience necessary CFRE preferred. Mm. Like that's for people who don't know, that's a huge contradiction because you have to have five years experience to get your CFRE. Like, and so. And I, you know, I've never been more proud of CFRE, the organization reaching out to employers and, and trying to correct them on some of this, doing more coaching than ever. I've been chatting with the team there. And it's really exciting to see them say, you're right, you know, we want to be on the right side of this and, mm -hmm. and coach everybody from employers to individuals seeking these designations, everything to right size it because they know, and we know too, that a lot of this also, as much as we can try to take out the individual out of the conversation, a lot of our biases also hide behind the ever elusive word and, and thing fit. Mm -hmm. Right? This is one of the most challenging parts of this conversation because we know culture matters. In organizations, you know, there's a huge difference between a small nonprofit and an advancement shop. Yeah. Uh, and so how do we factor that in? I'm hearing getting a lot of pushback on that from employers saying, well, how do we assess these things? Because we want to do that for the candidate, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Have you heard anything around those kind of challenges? It can mean everyone thinks the same way and handles everything in the same format. You really do want to have variety. You want to bring people with differing opinions, mature mm -hmm. professional discussions, certainly if you don't agree on something, but um, fit shouldn't streamline people into the same thought processes or you're just going to repeat, you know, what exactly. you've always been. You're so right, Penny. I have a question for you though. Okay, so this is what I did. I went out to the Facebook group this morning for the, in the intersection has a Facebook group. Paul's in that group, but he never goes there. So he doesn't actually know <laughs> what's coming. But, but um, uh, I asked the group, 
uh, I said, so we're going to be talking to AFPG Greater Toronto. What do you guys want to know? So I have a few questions, uh, if, if you don't mind, from our Facebook group. Um, and, and I don't think he would mind. Well, I'll ask that one in a minute. But um, oh, I don't know if you're going to like all of these, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Uh, and you can just say no comment, I guess. But Penny, are you worried about loss of revenue for the chapter? Um, I, I think ultimately we will see that this is of value to everyone and that the people who want to operate in a transparent fashion will certainly, you know, continue to post. We, right. we certainly see a few that, that are uh, interested. We've had quite a bit of, of um, reach out to us since that went out. So people are very supportive of the discussions that are underway and the steps that our board has chosen to um, to to take this year. Mm -hmm. um, it's certainly something that we want to monitor, but with COVID, revenue has changed. The sources yeah. of revenue have changed. I think we're all in the same boat. I, yeah. I, I would say that we're, we're looking at um, how best to make sure that we are offering services that matter to our Toronto members and nationally and internationally where we can as well. Yeah, that's. I mean, you've put the values chapter. right out there. When you when you are very clear on your values, it gets it. It makes decisions super easy, doesn't it? Not easy, but clear. Yeah. But also, yeah. how could you not? You know, again, as as one of your cousin associations, <laughs> CAGP, <laughs> this was this was a bold move for the whole community, mm -hmm. and everybody knew it was going to be hard. And how could you not expect that challenge in revenue? Although, what an interesting insight, Penny, too, to say if there's ever been a time. Where we've been challenging this piece when people talk about building back better well this is what we're talking about mm -hmm. and to embrace the challenge of this moment to make bold moves mm -hmm. so you know i want to recognize that too again it's there's a lot of people out there and this is my challenge so many people out there sniping and taking shots at everybody and things but they haven't been always in these positions mm -hmm. and we've heard from uh, people who post on our board and i've reached out to charity village and other colleagues at the nonprofit networks Darn right, this is going to be a challenge. And early on, there was a lot of pushback from employers in January, February, when we were all, you know, listening to show the salary on Twitter. Mm -hmm. So we've come a long way. And again, I got to give you that credit for having these discussions. Again, we I think we do too much discussion in the social space, mm -hmm. where it's all up there when we can get one to one. We're a profession that talks about relationships. Well, let's lean on them. And yeah. I think that's something the team has done really well to get to this point. Somebody sent me this private message. Um, is there, do you think that AFP Greater Toronto Chapter might publish speaker fees? Uh, well, I mean, any of our speakers, I mean, their fees are usually pub public anyways, um, like any of our keynote speakers or anything like that. Uh -huh. uh, it's actually, it's an interesting um, topic because we've actually brought up how can we bring in more uh, speakers from different um you know, whether it be people of color or, um, uh, you know, in, in a situation where we were in the com convention center, it would have been difficult to bring in speakers or they would have had difficulty accessing the convention center right. if there's accessibility issues, for example. None of those exist um, in 2020 or in 21 because we're confirmed virtual. Um, but going forward, we've actually actually started having those discussions like, would there be ways to offset costs of speakers mm -hmm. that would need to, um, you know, whether it's they, their employers wouldn't allow them to have the time off or things like that. Currently, uh, we don't have, we have a policy where we do not pay speakers for the general sessions. Yeah. We're, you know, 
in light of wanting to have more diversity in our speakers, um, we're looking at other ways that we can offset, offset costs that some might incur mm -hmm. uh, in order to be able to speak at Congress uh, right. going forward. Yeah, they're actually talking about bursary as an option, for example, if speakers want uh, funding or need funding, um, certainly don't have to worry about hotels and flights at this yeah. point, because it is virtual, as Amy mentioned, but, um, you know, if there's a nominal fee that we can support, and we want to bring that, uh, that person to the table, and the topic is important, then we want them to know that that's, uh, that's an option we'd consider. It's and great again, that you're having, go ahead, Paul, sorry. sorry I was just going to say, it was also this chapter that pioneered the speaker development series. Uh-huh. Which was revolution. Right. Yeah. And I was really proud to, you know, some of the, the leaders in that came from uh, Humber College and actually your team as well, uh, Amy. Uh but our champion whole, was the was the one that started it all. So we have to champion. Give <laughs> yeah. But you know, that concept of reaching out, finding those speakers, going out coaching by prop professionals. And I know for a fact, again, I was a, one of the early speaker coaches. Then also coaching these professionals, not just to speak at Congress, but how to negotiate their own speaker fees, how to go out and book from not just Greater Toronto, but all the AFP chapters and the sector as a whole. That series now, I think in year four, maybe even longer. I actually think it might be even longer than that. Yeah. I mean, we paused it last year, but we are looking at how we can re-envision that this year yeah. uh, to help um, in advance of Congress. It is, I agree with you, Paul, it, it was such a, rep, it, it's interesting now representing the AFP Greater Toronto chapter at um, AFP president meetings, you know, everybody wants to know about that and has for the past two years, how did we do that? You know, what was the, how did it go? And it's been such a popular session. And I mean, you both speak at Congress or have spoken at Congress quite a bit. Um, it's, it's hard to get in if you haven't spoken at Congress before. And so many people sort of want to break into the speaking and it's such a wonderful and supportive way to do that. Uh, you know, having coaches like I know both of you have been coaches in the past um, and, and have been at the event and, and everything. It's such a wonderful event to help bring new talent uh, in and, and get them ready to speak at conferences like that. So, so yeah, I, I agree. It's, I, you know, I'm really, I had nothing to do with it, but I'm so proud of the team um, led by Laura that, that brought that forward. Mm -hmm. I, that was actually one of the things that was canceled early on when COVID hit last year. We just didn't think we had the resources to manage it, but it is uh, discussions are already underway this year. So we want to, we want to make sure to get that up and running. I've now learned that we do have two extra coaches that I wasn't aware of till today. <laughs> uh, okay, I have a couple of other questions. I'm going to yeah. actually, this one came from Ken Wyman. Ken, shout out to you for being so smart. I'm putting on my glasses if you're not watching the video because I want to read exactly what Ken wrote. Okay, he said, um, one reason hiring teams give is they are not sure what a fair wage is. How can they get access to salary survey reports? The two main ones, AFP and Charity Village, do cost a lot of money. Could those be made public? Could a donor be found to sponsor them so they're open without AFP and Charity Village losing revenue? I mean, that's such a smart question. I don't know if you can answer it, but it's a smart question. It's a very smart question. Uh, so, oh, sorry, Penny, were you going to say something? It is a smart question, yes. AFP Global, um, I don't know what, if, what the fee is, but AFP Global has published a Canadian and U.S. Uh, survey results document. Mm -hmm. um, and we can certainly look into how that's, how that's circulated. Um, 
There's also other organizations that might have a, a lower rate. So CSAE is an example, Canadian Society of Association Executive does every two, three years. Um, but it's definitely something that, that uh, I find useful as well. If you're gonna do a full compensation review, it's not just salary, there's benefits and other you know, perks of the role that you wanna make sure you're, you're taking into consideration. Um, so I find it interesting to Amy's point, if you're comparing to a similar size organization, reports like this where they're sharing in that range is very helpful. Mm -hmm. And you know, shout out to our colleagues at the Ontario Nonprofit Network because they've done quite a bit of work around policy, around decent work, around gender equity in these spaces. And one of the things they've talked about is, is as we add this new layer of transparency, that's going to change the whole game about these kind of salary surveys. Because if we really can get across the board transparency, mm -hmm to the whole organization, not just fundraising, because that's our lens, right? Mm -hmm. That will that will be one of the, the helpful game changers that we expect to see in the next few years. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the, the, the issues there too. But Ken is the first person, especially in his role with Humber, to also recognize that organizations need to operate, mm -hmm. right? This is one of the things sometimes I push back on for a lot of people who are often are, I'm not, I don't want to say naive, but a lot of people who expect the world to be just overnight and we have to help these organizations to get there. Yeah. Again, in a lot of cases, I've had to reset my own expectations talking to my network because I was biased to understand how many women are in the hiring manager positions and are forced into that, that role of, of having to wear all of, all of these bad practices when the decision makers aren't the ones doing it. So this is also a gender equity issue that we've got to help to rebuild the sector to have the things they need, the training they need. Training is a big one. Again, I'm really happy we're doing training around this. Mm -hmm. But as Ken said, too, what are going to be the charitable entities, be it the AFP Foundation or other parts that can help with this next set? Mm -hmm. um, it's such a such an important point to make that these are these associations really are. Um, need to build revenue streams. And this is one way to build revenue streams, especially if you're going to go through a bumpy ride with your job posting revenue stream. Like, I know, I let's acknowledge that for sure. And also the reason why so many charities, uh, so many fundraisers or people who work in charities are underemployed or underpaid is because a lot of folks just don't know that those tools exist, right? Mm -hmm. So... Um, I want to get to the, the why and how workshops, you know, your commitment to educating folks around why this is an important thing to do and how to do it. Um, I just have one other question from the Facebook group. I don't know if I'm cheating, but this is fun, Paul. I'm doing this every podcast yeah, now. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. This is what we're doing here. Um, have you had or heard any resistance or angry feedback from organizations not willing to change? Um, I, you know, I, I think that I wouldn't say that we've had angry feedback. There's some organizations that are not set up to do so, and they have, you know, they will choose not to post with us once June 1st comes. Um, but that being said, there's been so many positive comments as Penny alluded to, and, uh, we've already had so many or several organizations just start posting the salary range, which is amazing. It's something we've been encouraging them with. So, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, like I, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of 2021, it's just mandatory across the board. So I think yeah. anybody who is kicking and screaming, you know, 
I don't know where you're going to post. <laughs> that's, that's it. And again, that's kind of the, the clarion call of, of the largest chapter in the world and our biggest organization in Canada setting the standard. And I think there's really got to be credit for that. But I think also you didn't get as much of that, that hostility and negativity because you reached out as part of this exercise. I will share. I've definitely had super angry feedback, partly because I put myself out there. I keep in touch with a lot of the search leaders, mm-hmm. our colleagues at KCI and people like Deborah LeGrove and David Hutchinson, and a lot of them who have contact with employers, they've you know heard that frustration. Um, but again, that's their challenge is they've got to be in the middle. The middle is always the hardest place to be, and there are going to be challenges. But, you know, I think back to my Canada Helps life when I had a lot of organizations, but Paul, our donors are older. And I'm like, who do you think was the first on FaceTime? It wasn't 16-year-olds, it was grandparents, right? Yes. You just got to read those, the zeitgeist and see which side of history you want to be on. Yeah. And, and we've had, yeah. since announcing it, we've had all kinds of positive feedback. We're, yeah. we're getting a lot of emails. We're getting... Um, uh, people saying thank you. This is great to see as a as a leader. Obviously, as the largest chapter, um, and then looking for the guidance. Excited about you know what's the next step? How can we um, you know get advice and how can we work through changes that we'll need to make? So nobody angry so far. So it's been great. Yeah, it's definitely a positive change. So let's talk about the rollout for a little bit. Um, uh, I'm, I'm interested, you know, this is an opportunity to talk about how you're going to help spread the word and, and w- what your plans are there. Can you share a little bit of that with us? Yes. I mean, our plans are still being firmed up. I think, uh, as of last week, we were, um, just confirming who's going to be part of each session. Uh, but in terms of the why the goal is that we will have a panel Um, I think, and Penny, you can hopefully jump in here, but the goal is to have a recruiter, um, someone from an organization, an actual practitioner organization that would be able to share their experience. Um, And I can't remember what the third, (laughs) the third spot is. Penny, Yeah, fundraisers specifically that are able to, to share how it worked for them in this sector specifically. So, yeah. Yeah. So that, that will be the first of our series. Um, and then we really want to have some help, you know, as, as we said, be able to provide some resources for organizations that uh, are undertaking this and aren't sure how to approach it. Um, so then that will be the how will be the next one. And then we actually are looking for, and this will be a little plug for uh, anyone out there who would be able to serve as a mentor. Um, and we're not, you know, requiring people with um, an HR designation or anything, but we're looking for individuals within organizations who have implemented this, who would be able to help coach some of the organizations, you know, large or small, uh, that might not uh, have the resources internally to or not really sure how to approach this. We want to be able to provide coaches as well uh, through a mentorship program leading up to this. And and I would say, actually, it's something we've been discussing. I mean, right now, we're everybody's focused on getting this series out the door and, and kind of underway. But longer term, we, we would love to have coaches that can help as this evolves um, in terms of, you know, like as we've all spoken today, that's great that we're posting a salary range. What happens next in the hiring process and what are best practices mm-hmm. to um, eradicate any of that discrimination that happens? I, I Even as an update for Amy, we, I had uh, somebody out in BC reach out saying they'd be happy to help as a, as a mentor if we're looking for people out there. So sure, we'll, we'll, you know, we want to be able to support our, our chapters across the country where we can as well. So mm-hmm. great to see that interest. 
And I've had an HR professional reach out who isn't connected to fundraising, heard about it somehow, I guess through social media, and wants to be able to offer assistance and some of the, some of her colleagues as well. So I thought that was great. They don't know anything about fundraising. Is that a requirement? Can they get involved and help? So nice to see that interest spreading even beyond our own community. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Because that's the challenge. A lot of times we find ourselves in a bubble. Yeah. You know, and, and fundraising is this weird standalone thing, right? We Kimberly and I have joked about fundraisers being the people under the stairs. Uh, I remember visiting a university and the entrance to advancement was literally under the stairs. Oh. Uh, and, and that's the challenge. We, we operate sometimes in this weird vacuum from a lot of other things that are happening progressive or otherwise. Mm -hmm. So that's also the blessing of a connected community like AFP, being able to lean on each other and then spread this out as time goes on. So the challenge for organizations, um, one of the reasons why they may be resistant to posting the salary range is because of their employees knowing what everybody else makes, like the ripple within the organization, right? It, that's one of that's one of them for sure. That's one of them that's been brought forward. Yeah. What's another one? Uh, well, I mean, as I mentioned, that this concern that if we post, nobody will apply. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Smaller, right. smaller charities often have the smaller budget. So if they're posting and yeah. competing against a bigger organization yeah. that has more money to spend, the ranges for the same title could be yeah. very different. So they're, they're concerned that there could be, you know, a, a group that ends up not applying. But as Amy outlined, if they're not comfortable with that range, why put them through the process for both sides? Yeah, it, it, exactly. And, and that was one of the Facebook questions about what about smaller organizations, but you, we tackled that early on in this conversation. So that's good. And this was actually a discussion at Congress a couple of years back too. So they say, look, we got to hit reset on the whole hiring process, Yeah. right? The, the we're hiring. And then what the search professionals call spray and pray gross uh just the concept of just you know blasting that out there not having you know i've seen some really great practices in the past few years people rewriting what does a posting look like what does the conversation look like and we do have more you know charity villages got a lot more algorithms involved afp as a chapter is way more involved in the support and coaching of members in this space even cfre as well so i hope too this will be part of saying how do we reboot this process which we know is messed up and busted anyway mm -hmm. right so i think that will help this will be a part of it not just the transparency but the language of that when they say that we don't have the opportunity well you never did mm -hmm. and how do you show if you've got flexibility then say we've got flexibility and you'll attract that kind of person uh and again some great search professionals who have spoken to chapters before saying if it's fit you're after then start to communicate your culture so yeah. that you can attract mm -hmm rather than you are deciding in which your biases are putting you in a box. That's right. Yeah. So true. Especially if the panel that's interviewing isn't diverse or if you've worked together for a hundred years and think the same and have always done the same, you want that diversity across the panel. You want that diversity across the, the rep, uh, resume selection process. Mm -hmm. um, all of the steps, not just salary transparency need to be factored in. Says a person who had to replace a 25 year incumbent. Yes. Right. Like that was when, it, when this was posted, I was just, you know, talk about culture, talk about history. This was a really tough thing for the team to do. So, you know, this, this was also the organization walking its talk. Uh, mm -hmm. And that absolutely did circulate the community, the, bl the blind resume interviewing and the structure. Mm -hmm. This is the way that we can build trust in the sector and the community too. I, you know, 
And Stephen Covey often says, trust is built when you do what you say. Mm-hmm. And people see that and they see if it's not happening. So this is a really big, exciting day. Thank you. I think one of the other things we need to keep in mind too is the impact on COVID specifically on, on women and the statistics. I don't have the numbers off the top, but the number of women who are um, held back because they have childcare issues, schooling at home, all of the other things. Um, it's, it's impacted the progress women have, have made. And we want to keep that in mind as we're looking at fair hiring practices, promotional practices. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a big discussion, a broader discussion, but definitely the year to be doing it. The world has changed. We're not going back to whatever we thought normal was. There's going to be something new going forward. Let's have these tough conversations and help each other through it and help each other plan for a world that is more fair for people. Mm-hmm. And again, yep. we don't have to do it all, right? Again, exactly. AFP That's is right. very much that fundraising lens, but we've yep. got colleagues who are neck deep in this Ontario nonprofit network talking about the what does the she covery mean with yep. everybody, including economists like Armin Yalnesian, uh, and then our colleagues at Imagine Canada trying to help set this and, and constantly drop us into the framework of an industry. We're not something standalone, right? Again, we're always thinking of that $18 billion donated when the revenue is like $250 billion. We are an industry like manufacturing, small business, all of that, and our equity and, and practices need to be the same across the board as anybody else. And so I'm really grateful for them constantly reminding everybody, including government, and especially that we need a home in it. And thank you to the AFP Foundation and the government relations team for coming along with a lot of that. Because Paul, we, how, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you how just do we, know everything? I'm a weirdo, what, you know, again, what don't you know? Like, seriously, I don't watch any sports, uh, oh, this is, okay. again, uh, blogs and LinkedIn and Twitter are my sports. So whenever anybody can do uh, <laughs> like baseball stats on someone, I have the same thing with fundraisers, X campaigns, two RBIs, three major gifts. You got to line up your obsessions with your, with your career. And there's no commuting time anymore. You're just, you're able to do more reading. So yeah, well, I'll share though. That, that that's what COVID took away from me. Yeah. I actually lost the ability to read physical books for a while of any nature. Uh, you know, I'm grateful for audio and different medium, mm-hmm. but you know, we all got one leg knocked out from us, if not both. Yeah. And again, we were chatting as before this, uh, this uh, conversation started Amy about schools being knocked out. Mm-hmm. You know, my spouse has actually seen a wonderful uh, bit of progress in her career in this area and has had to work outside the home. Mm-hmm. and our kids are coming home and how many people have suggested to me that we should do the calculation to see who owns what and that person should stay home ridiculous and i'm very grateful to organizations for calling it out and saying to the government every level from our funding from our funders how many charities furloughed people as well imagine canada called that out and we've got to keep calling it out as we build back we have a lot of work to do I'm excited about it, though. I'm really excited. I feel like we are at a pivotal moment in in our social structures, in our professional structures. This is there, there, there will be a lot of. I hope that's not toxic positivity. Heaven forbid. But no, I'm very optimistic about the way we can all move forward. Right. Yeah. I just commented on this uh, in, a, in a recent article and uh, was asked, you know, how fundraisers are feeling in the sector. And the term that I used was cautiously optimistic. Yes. I think that they've, you know, I think that from a mental health perspective, that 
Um, I think everyone has suffered, not just fundraisers, but I mean, particularly uh, fundraisers. And, you know, Paul, you just mentioned like how many jobs were furloughed and, and things like that over the past year. But I think that as <laughs> this new normal is returning and we're we're sorting through it, I think people are starting to feel a bit optimistic about what, what the future holds um, for their own organizations. Um, you know, and I the other thing that I want to highlight is that I think people are so grateful for the generosity of donors um, over the past year. Those that have been able to give um, at the level that they've given has been incredible. And, you know, the, the real rally that, that we've seen with donors um, has been wonderful. So I think people are cautiously optimistic and, and grateful. Mm -hmm. Any other final thoughts, folks? No, I mean, I, I just want to thank you both for giving us this opportunity to to speak and share sort of the thought process behind um, what the AFP board did. And, you know, I just want to highlight that this was a long process, that this wasn't just over the past few weeks, that uh, this has been years in the making. Um, and, you know, I, I would I would agree with you, Paul, um, that this dated back to, you know, Emma and Christian starting starting everything. Uh, that must have been at least probably a decade ago. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, and there's so many board members who that have come before us that have really laid the groundwork for us to be able to do this. So that you're re you're referring to Emma and um, Christian who started the whole it's inclusive diversity equity and accessibility inclusion. idea uh, the fellowship along with Leah Eustace in Ottawa yeah uh, but these discussions again the discussions in the chapter mm -hmm. that was what started a long time ago yeah. and again asking the questions and not shying away from the hard conversations because I know they were hard too and sometimes it kind of blew up. That's the that's a, a commitment that a real community makes to each other, mm -hmm. right? To not shy away from. And sometimes it's going to be hard. And no one ever said that conflict is not part of this. So I think right. that's the important part yeah. too. It's going to take the courage, and we got to keep pushing, and we got to support our communities to have it. So, on behalf of a of a capital cousin organization too, thank you for making this bold move because it's helping us to move forward our own plans as well. Thank you. And it's just a step. We're going to continue the discussions. We're going to continue learning ourselves. We're going to continue working with our, our volunteers, with our members. Um, welcome feedback from the membership as well on, on other areas that we can keep the discussion moving because it's important to do that. Um, I'll share on a personal note, I, I am biracial and had um, um, learned all, all about uh, racism and uh, stigma and so on from what my mother went through. Mm. So it is something that it's important that we keep the discussion going. It's important that people learn from each other. It's important that we recognize the differences are valuable. The differences are something you want to learn from because you weren't part of that path. It's a new path. It's a new discussion. And we're committed to continuing that at Toronto. Indeed. And then again, right. our own, you know, our challenge being Ontarians is our reconciliation journey is way further back than the rest of the country. Exactly. And that's where we look to a lot of our other chapter colleagues to help us along on that part too. Mm -hmm. Do you want to tell us about your mom before we go, Penny? Um, no, I, I've shared, I've shared uh, some of the sensitive information, but certainly uh, challenged when she came to Canada and, uh, um, I've learned a lot just from the example that she set for my sister and I. I've learned a lot from what she went through interviewing and trying to get a job and trying to make sure she got through the process and was respected for what she brought to the table, regardless of where she earned it. 
So Great. I think that's the important. What do you need me to do as an employee? And here's how my background fits. Shouldn't matter where I learned it or what gender I am or how I identify. And that's the important piece of the discussion to me. Well, it's great to see so much progress happening down there at uh, the Greater Toronto Chapter. So thank you guys for coming to the intersection. And um, and we, we appreciate your work. Anytime. We appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks so much. It was so great to see you both. I look forward to seeing you both in person soon. And again, a final thank you to the Army of Volunteers who worked tirelessly over the last 11 years to advance the inclusion, diversity, equity and accessibility priorities at the Toronto Chapter. This is one step forward and this work will no doubt continue. Thank you for spending time here. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe. Most of all, share. See you next time.